We are the Marcelin Brothers, and this is the Marcelin Brothers Podcast, MBP for short. We are here to share our story and to contribute our thoughts about everyday topics in life. Time to sit back, relax, and get ready for the MVP attack. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Today is May 18th, 2019 at 9.50 p.m. And if you are listening or watching, you are listening or watching to the Mother Marceline Brothers podcast. How is everybody doing today? Clap, 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 clap. I'm doing fine. If by everyone, you mean me. <laughs> All yes. Well, another week. In the books. I'm on call this weekend, so I'm here in Philly, um, just holding down the fort. So if you randomly hear a pager going off, that's what's going on. But the good news is I get to take call from home, so I'm just chilling at home right now. Oh, okay. So nothing much going on as of right now. No, pretty cool, pretty cool then. So as the viewers can probably hear or see on our screen, we are doing this from you know, our respective places. Marvin is doing it from his second home. He doesn't have the internet connection very strong. So when you're watching it from the YouTube channel, you're only seeing Marvin's emoji face and you're seeing my live screen. So that's what's going on with that. But for those of you guys who are listening on Podcast World, you should be able to hear us nice and crisp and clear. So the other thing too is... ACM is also on call. I don't think, yeah, he's, I think he's doing a 24 hour one because I spoke to him earlier today, probably before, probably around one or two, and he was in there. So I think he's just pulling an all nighter. So if you're listening, AC, this one's for you. And I just feel like I need to give a shout out to my wife because my wife has been kicking butt and taking names these last couple of weeks. She's been, doing the budget for the health system so i've got to give her props she's been putting in some hours but leah i want to let you know that ophelia and i appreciate all the hard work that you're doing you are being an awesome role model mentor to ophelia and i definitely appreciate the hard work that you're putting in to make sure that we're able to do what we need to do so thank you leah cool 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 so tell me a little bit marvin about this on call how you know how's it been going so far tell me about the experience Oh, my experience? Well, today um, hasn't been bad. Uh, so for my program, I'm covering orthopedics as well as podiatry at two different hospitals. And, um, you know, uh, there are patients on the floor, so I've got to go to the hospital, round on the patients, make sure they're doing okay, and put orders in. The nurses have questions, you know, take care of that as well. And talk to the patients and make sure that, they're overall doing well. So I'm, I'm, you know, following a lot of post-ops, um, you know, total knee replacement, uh, quadricep tear replacement, uh, uh, cases like that, and just random consults as well. And I'm doing the same thing with podiatry too. So, you know, I'm covering two services, but, but hey, it is what it is. I really do like my uh, on-call setup. So we take call by, by the week. But what that means is you get fewer 
weeks on call as opposed to just being on call maybe every third day or every other day where it can get a little confusing as far as keeping up with your schedule. So for me, it's not been bad. And I'm happy to say that this is my last official primary, I think for my career as a resident, because as a third year, uh, we only take it as secondary call, which is a huge perk. But I did put my time in <laughs> the first two years. Yeah. Now, now it's now it's time to you know take a couple steps to make sure I train the incoming residents so they come in in July. So uh, you know, time's changing, things are happening, and exciting. Oh man, so I'm, good. I'm that's the future. Oh man, that's really good. It's really good. I'm glad that you've had that a really, really good week. So since you've been on call, so I guess for me, what's been going on with my neck of the woods? Nothing much really. We, Lee and I, we went on our date night last night. We were able to check out John Wick three. So very, my wife and I like the John Wick series. And we decided to see John Wick 3. It's very interesting because Lee and I, we usually watch movies at home because Ophelia is at home. And once she goes to sleep, then we just do Apple TV and we watch one of the movies. But I guess within the last month, we've gone to two movie premieres. We did the whole Avengers Endgame that first opening weekend. And then we just did John Wick opening weekend. So that is not like our normal selves. But at the same time, it was a good opportunity for us to be able to hang out, do a little date night stuff. So we did dinner at Bahama Breeze, and after that we went to the movies, so that was good stuff. Now, is, Would you say that going to the theater is, is still fantastic, and wow, it's amazing? Because I have to admit that I don't really go to the movie theater all that much anymore, now that you, know, you have streaming like Netflix, and you have Amazon Prime, and all sorts of different platforms that you can watch movies with and the screens are getting bigger they're getting better at home is it still that much better going to the movie theater from your point of view so i was talking to my brother-in-law rod i was asking him about what he thought about that because my whole thing is you know I, same thing i've got a projector i've got like a on my projector it's like a hundred and something inches so with when I'm watching movies at home, the size is there. But I think it's more of the camaraderie. Originally, when we were booking the movies, it was supposed to be, you know, six of us. But then we had issues with childcare, and the time that the others were watching the movie, we ended up having to watch it at a later time. So originally, the reason why we were watching it was because it was going to be a big group of us. And I think that is mostly you know, the reasons why we would go out to the movies, not necessarily for the actual event at the movie theater, per se, but more of the camaraderie that you have with the people that you go with. And then after that, you can sit and you can talk about the movie over dinner. You can discuss what you like, what you didn't like, and then just catch up with people. So for me, going to the movies isn't really about the cinematic experience. It's more of if we're going in a big group of people, then let's just hang out and then let's just make a memory out of it. If we had originally realized that we 
weren't going to be able to see with everybody else, we, I don't know, we either would have maybe waited on Tuesday because if you're an AT&T member, you get Ticket Tuesdays where you get one ticket for free and you just Ooh. pay the admission for one. So we probably would have done it on Tuesday or we would have just waited on video. I mean, one of those things. So that's probably what we would end up doing if it didn't work out that way. So, yeah, I think that it's interesting, though, because nowadays in the movie theaters, it's different than when back in the day when I was going to movie theaters like crazy, because now a lot of those movie theaters, they're starting to have, you know, dining options where it's actual food. They have a menu. And then a lot of the movie theaters now, you have to reserve them up front if you want to be able to go. They're reserved seating. And they've got the lounge chair, Lazy Boy style chair. So it's not just your normal sitting up. It is stadium seat. But in addition to the stadium seat, it's like having like a, a one-seater that's able to recline. So they're trying to make the experience at the movies, you know, a little more relaxing and enjoyable than what it used to be back in the day. But I feel like you have to do that because of just the comfort level that you'll have at home you've got to try to do something so that it brings people into the movie theater so different experiences and then also what i realized too is i mean going to a movie theater in imax that still is an experience that you can't have at home because of how large the screen is so that is you know something and then also have you been to movie theaters where they kind of have like the like a 40 thing where you have well Two things. So 3D, you got some movies that are 3D. So that's something that you can't do as easily at home when you watch a movie. So the 3D aspect could be pretty cool depending on what movie theater that you go to. And then also some of them have 4D where in addition to having the 3D with the visual, you also have the chair moving in different directions. If you are watching one of those action movies that you're you're able to visualize the different directions that people are going. So I think in those experiences, those are stuff that you can't necessarily get into right now, but everything else is different. But, you know, since we're kind of, I mean, we're going off tangent because this is supposed to be our current event article, but what do you know about these virtual reality cameras? Ooh, virtual reality cameras. Are you, are you talking about like how the Pokemon Go is, where it's augmented reality. You're seeing things in real time, but then they're superimposing an image on that same screen. So something that's not there in real life is appearing in real life in addition to what really is there in real life. Or are you talking about like a uh, Oculus Rift type of uh, virtual reality headset? I'm talking, about the Ocu- I'm talking about the Oculus Rift. That's what I'm talking about. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, yeah, that's that's something where I would be very intrigued to uh, look at and, and use it for myself. Um, but I think the problem with that is a lot of times people, just like what you're alluding to, when you watch a movie, you want to watch it together with somebody. And so when you have that headset on, how do you connect that with someone else so that you feel like you're watching it with someone else? Yeah, I think that it depends. Oh man, I think I'm. I think I'm. I didn't hear some of your conversation. I think the audio is kicking in and out, so I apologize. It looks like I cut you off. So you were talking about how how do you have that experience with 
when you're trying to do the Oculus is what you're saying? Yeah. So I think there's a couple of things. So I was actually talking to Rod about this because Rod is actually going to be getting an Oculus on, you know, later on this week. So I will be previewing this. So I'll let you know how it goes. But you remember how when we went to his house and we did the the VR mm-hmm. over in the PlayStation and how that experience yep. was and, and they had, you know, one person would be doing the the actual um, Oculus or the, the PlayStation yeah. goggles and then the other person would be able to look at the screen and see what that person is going through. So that is something right. that I guess you can kind of do. It's not the same because one person is watching in goggles and their their perspective is going to be different, but at least you can see what they're seeing. But right. I do know that some of those features, you know, you can have multiple people wearing the Oculus I had gear, therefore you're both seeing the same thing. So that could be a little pricey, but again, I will let you know how that goes. And maybe what we'll do is maybe we can bring Rod on to one of these podcasts because he's very much into all that stuff. So we can we can do the preview. We can let you know how it goes. So we'll have to put that on the topic of discussions yeah. for our podcast in the future. That'll be fun. Yeah, let's do it. Man. All right. So we went way off topic for our original purpose of why we were doing our podcast today. So today is going to be another current event topic. We're 13 minutes into the podcast. So Marvin, why don't you just take us in and let us know what you're talking about? Definitely. 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 I'm- All of you guys who are listening in to this fascinating conversation. Have you experienced robocalls? I know I have, and they are so annoying. I don't know what to do. It came to the point where I started individually blocking robocalls. But for whatever reason, next day, maybe couple days, I would get pretty much the same phone number, but maybe one digit different. And then it would be the same telemarketer or robocall or whatever, just a recording that pops up in my phone. And so I've been battling this for a while, and it's just so annoying. I don't know if you guys can relate, but this article uh, tickled my fancy, if you will, because I'm not the only one who's going through this. In fact, this article is entitled, Robocalls Could Be Blocked by Phone Companies Under... Those rules. Get this. And it's just unwanted phone calls. It's ridiculous. So phone companies are basically in a dilemma. Uh, I think the premise is they may have the, the capabilities and the technology to effectively block the robocalls, but uh, by blocking the robocalls, are you uh, going against what the federal communications uh, commission deems as allowable because does the phone companies have the ability to block certain calls without your say? And I think that is part of the question that they're trying to uh, figure out. So let me just uh, read a little bit about the article and then we can discuss about it, um, if you will, Junior, and we'll see where it goes from there. 
So phone companies would be able to block annoying robocalls and other unwanted phone calls by default under new rules to be considered by the Federal Communication Commission. Some landline and cellular providers do offer call blocking features now, but consumers must opt in. The new rules proposed by FCC Chairman uh, Mr. Pai to be voted on by the commission at its June 6th meeting would eliminate some concern by companies that FCC rules make it illegal to deploy call blocking tools. The goal with the new regulation is to set a clear legal foundation for the development and use of these call blocking tools by default. Um, basically, uh, the FCC director want, said Tuesday that they want companies to, to develop a variety of tools for deterring how call blocking would work. So that's, you know, the premise of what's going on. And, you know, I think I'm I'm for that. I, I would like uh, phone companies to be able to block these unwanted robocalls. But then the question, if you want to play devil's advocate, is well, if they're able to block FCC, uh, if they're able to block robocalls, what would stop them from blocking other calls? Maybe if there's you know competitors trying to reach out and tell you what they're promoting with their uh, companies, et cetera, could they do that type of stuff? What's, where is the line going to be and what, what can you put into action to prevent, you know, excessive power by the phone companies to block some content versus other content, you know? So what are you thinking about uh, those concepts? I I'm trying to think who really wins from the robocalls because I mean obviously it's going to be the the company who are doing these phone calls but I don't know if all right you've got the company who wants to do a robocall so you've got somebody on the other line they and they're not human they you know they're just doing gibberish as soon as I hear those phone calls I just tend to hang up so I don't know if it's one of those things where you call a hundred thousand people and two people pick up and something happens and they call the number to do whatever if that ends up being successful. But I don't know of anybody who picks up the phone and falls into whatever trap that the robocall people try to do when they say, hey, call this number because of X, Y, and Z. So I... The fact is that if you already have apps and you already have the technology and people opt in to be able to use it and they're able to block them, I don't see why it would be such a huge disservice to just move it up one more notch and just have these cell phone companies do it all together. Now, again, it, if it would be like the opposite where instead of opting in for this cell uh, robocall blocking feature, you would have to opt out to get it so automatically everybody would be i think that's the the angle that you're interested in going mm -hmm. because if if we're looking at rules and laws and we're so free everybody always talks about freedom of freedom of press freedom of you know being able to do x y and z but i feel like as a consumer i should also have the freedom to not have to listen and especially if it's my number, it's one thing if it's a public thing, but this is my personal number. This is my private number. I feel like, you know, if I'm paying a cell phone bill every month and I am having to have charges that are going to be done by the by the company, that's my number. So I feel like it should be my right to 
to allow me to or not to um, listen to these robocalls. So I feel like if I am an individual and I want to be able to have the robocalls, then make it an opt-in thing where I say, hey, I want these robocalls, so give me the access and the opportunity to listen to them and I can do it. But I feel like for everybody else who doesn't want it, and if the FCC is, the whole purpose of the FCC is to protect the rights of consumers, then I feel like this is an avenue that would be beneficial for people. And I think that would be something that would be received very lightly because I, I think the majority of the people who get robocalls, they just think it's annoying. You block it on your phone. So it's like a do not block or a block. Or you have one of those apps where it says, you know, likely scammer and you ignore it anyways. That's my big thing. If if it wasn't my cell phone or if it was like a, a company cell phone, but the fact that you're paying for something, I feel like you should be able to own it like you want. Just like in your house, if there are certain things that you want to do or not do within legality's sake, it's your property. You should be able to do something. Like if I don't want somebody to come into my house, then if they come in, it's trespassing. That should be the same thing for these phone calls. Like if if I don't want your phone call, then I should have the right to be able to say, hey, don't call me. So that's kind of how I look at it. So I think that if we are going that route for the robocalls, I think it would be excellent. I'd be very happy with that. Oh, what'd you say? No, I, the, the signal, we lost the signal for a second, but now, now we're back. Yeah, so... That's that's kind of my take on it. What is your take on on the robocalls? I am annoyed at robocalls, and um, you know this article is talking about you know Verizon and how they have special features to help combat uh, the robocalls. I don't know if my provider, which uh, is AT and T, has it. They probably do. I just never even thought about calling the company to see if they have anything to you know help me block those robocalls. But I will say uh, over the past couple of um, you know, days, um, I haven't received any. So that's good. You know, I'm happy uh, about that. But something else that's on the horizon that I'm just reading up on is um, the one ring robocall alert. So now robocalls may even be evolving as well as they realize that people are catching on to them. So Companies might just do a one-ring call to your phone with the hopes that you call them back. And so that might be a loophole that they're devising to get around this whole robocall uh, mishap, if you will. So, and then the other thing is, uh, now this is just me thinking outside of the box, what about the companies that are robocall issue, meaning uh, they're the robocall prevention, kind of like uh, the, the, the security system for your software, where with a monthly fee of $2.99 a month, you can have this service and we'll prevent you from having I think in any situation, some people can profit back. And if there is pushback, how much of it will be from the companies that are acting? I don't know. Right now, by offering services 
to combat robocall at a at a price i mean i, I kind of think that the major telephone companies already have this feature so these individuals are probably taking more of the market than these little individual companies that are there and then the other way that i look at it is if you're really good at it then maybe you get bought out by at&t verizon sprint or whoever these companies are and that's your way on the map but then at the same time you know it's kind of like anything else it's you know these individuals will just have to you know react and they'll have to go and figure out a different way of how to survive i don't know if those few handful of companies who do do this would be able to fight against you know 98.99999% of the country who doesn't want it so even though they may be a little upset then they just have to figure out a different a way of being able to sell the services that they provide is what my thoughts are cool 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 all right so what about you what you got for us what's your article all right so we had four articles that we were looking at I think the one that I want to talk about, and you may have heard about it already, this is the SAT and the adversity score. So for those of you guys who are not not aware, it looks like the SAT is going to be looking at adding an, an adversity score to try to capture individuals with different types of social and economic backgrounds. So I'm just going to read a story. I won't read the whole thing, but I'll, I'll get into a good portion of it, and then we can talk a little bit about this story as well. So this is a Wall Street Journal article. The title is SAT to give students adversity score to capture social and economic backgrounds. New score comes as college admissions decisions are under scrutiny. This is written by Douglas Belkin. The college board plans to, to assign an adversity score to every student who takes the SAT to try to capture their social and economic backgrounds, jumping into the ring of debate, raging over race and class and college admissions. This new number called an adversity score by college admissions officers is calculated using 15 factors, including the crime rate and poverty levels from the student's high school and neighborhood. Students won't be told the scores, but colleges will see the numbers when reviewing their applications. 50 colleges used the score last year as a part of the beta test. The college board plans to expand it to 150 institutions this fall, then use it broadly the following year. How colleges consider a student's race and class in making admission decisions is hotly contested. Many colleges, including Harvard University, say a diverse student body is part of the educational mission of the school. A lawsuit accusing Harvard of discriminating against Asian American applicants by holding them to a higher standard is awaiting a judge ruling. Lawsuits charging unfair admission practices have also been filed against the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill and the University of Carolina, or I'm sorry, the University of California system. The College Board, the New York-based nonprofit that oversees the SAT, said it has worried about income inequality and influence test results for years. White students scored an average of 177 points higher than black students and 133 points higher than Hispanic students in 2018. Asian students scored 100 points higher than white students. The children of wealthy and college-educated parents outperformed their classmates. 
There are a number of amazing students who may have scored less on the SAT, but have accomplished more, said David Coleman, Chief Executive Officer of the College Board. We can't sit on our hands and ignore the disparities of wealth reflected in the SAT. The SAT, which includes math and verbal sections and is still taken with number two pencils, is facing challenges. Federal prosecutors revealed that this spring that students cheated on both SAT and ACT for years as part of a far-reaching college admissions cheating scheme. In Asia and Middle East, both ACT and SAT exams have experienced security breaches. And this story kind of goes on and on and on. All right, so one of the points here says, this adversity score is literally affecting every application we look at. It has been part of this success story to help diversify our freshman class. Mm, on and on and on. So, you know, pretty much, you know, the point of this story, what they're trying to do is with this score, are they're trying to figure out a way to, I mean, I, I don't know of a better way to say it other than, quote unquote, level of playing field. But I don't know what what do you think about what they're trying to do? What do you think about the purpose of it? And just give me some of your initial thoughts. Oh, let me let me tell you how they try to figure out this adversity index. So it looks like what they do is they look at your neighborhood environment. So this is going to be your crime rate, property rate, housing values and vacancy rate. They look at your family environment, which is medium income, single parent, education level, and English as a second language. They look at the high school environment, which is, you know, curricular rigor, free lunch rate, AP opportunities, and under matching. And I guess they put all of these different environment and rates and values together, and they come out with some sort of adversity score. And then later on, you know, when you go through the article, it talks about the score gap. So they'll look at it based on household income. And the point that they're trying to make is the more money, the more the household makes, the higher the score. We talked about the race already. It's Asian and whites and Hispanics and blacks. They talk about the high parents, highest education. So what this is showing is that parents that have a graduate graduate degree, you know, their children will have better scores in bachelor's, associate's diplomas, and no diplomas. So I think these are all things that we've kind of looked at and heard of. And I guess what the SATs are trying to do is they're trying to figure out how to normalize it all. So what do you think? New, different, in the sense of just put on there and trying to create a score. I do like the concept because, you know, when you're in the quote unquote working world, you're not just surrounded by one type of person. Yeah, you're mixed in with all sorts of different people from all sorts of different backgrounds. So they're trying to uh, imitate or emulate a scenario that is more realistic as uh, introduced to after, you know, when you're done with school. Um, I like the concept. I like the idea. I'm just curious to see how they will unravel and how everything will go into fruition. Because let's face it, you, you don't want just one type of student in these different colleges. Um, you know, the whole mantra of what happens if you're an A student, A, B student versus C student. Um, 
one of the sayings, and I'm totally going to botch it, botch it, is the A and B students are the ones who get hired, and then the C students are usually the ones that have to invent something new because they can't on the job. But saying all this is all different types of people are mixed together. And then when you mix them all together, that's when, uh, the ability to create new things and to just do active change out there. So it's important. I think the college system is going in the right direction. I like what they're trying to do. And we'll see how how they do it. I, I hope it works. You know, I'm not against it. And I'm, I'm very curious and I think it, there might be onto something here. I guess from my perspective, and I've always been one to not use society or not use the government or not use other people determine whether or not I'm going to be successful or not. The way that I look at it has always been, you know, you give me my opportunity, you give me my shot, and then I'll see what I can do. And that might be, in that perspective, is probably a perspective coming from an individual who maybe is privileged and maybe has these opportunities and maybe if somebody wasn't didn't have the same opportunities as me maybe that's you know that's that's the counter argument is yeah maybe it's easy for me to say that because I have my opportunities I am able to make the most of my opportunities whereas you know somebody else may not even have the opportunity that I have but I guess from my perspective the way that I look at it is you know, this the SAT, whether it's a standardized achievement test, whether it's an entrance exam, whatever it may be, I don't, I look back at my life and I look to see whether or not if the school that, you know, UNC Chapel Hill, if I didn't get accepted to UNC Chapel Hill, would I be able to still do the same things that I'm doing today if I got accepted to a different school? If I went the route of, you know, going to community college, then after community college, then finishing up my bachelor's, and then from there, then getting into, you know, pharmacy school. I feel like at the end of the day, whatever options I have that are given to me, I'm going to make the most of what I have. I mean, everybody has not been accepted to a certain school that they've applied to, or, or, or I feel like a majority of people have reached dejection, but I don't think that dejection has, or rejection has, cost for that individual to not be successful and that's it. So if I was taking this exam and I was somebody who, you know, didn't ex get accepted to a certain school, I'm going to find a school that accepts me and then I'm going to make things work and I'm going to try to achieve so that I'm able to be successful. So I'm not going to let the score and who takes me dictate whether or not I'm going to be able to come in or not. But again, that might be coming from a perspective of somebody who is privileged. I don't know. Do I think that this is, I mean, this is definitely going to cause controversy. I feel like there's always going to be somebody who wins and somebody that's going to be losing. And I think that it's difficult because if you're using, when you look at admission exams and when you look at something that's so black or white and you have a certain number and it's, you achieve this number, you don't achieve this number. I know that's how people try to make it a level playing field, but 
I mean, students, individuals are more than just numbers. So if you are going to be putting so much weight on a number, I feel like you probably do need to look to see what are some of the different variables that can go into that number that you get because of how highly colleges view this number. So I think that I'm happy that the, you know, the college board is looking at what does this number mean and looking at the individual who's scoring this number to try to normalize it because of the fact that the college board has made this exam so so important so that it has to be hey you get this number you're in you don't get this number you're out just as the college board decided that we're going to use these exams as a way for us to try to determine whether or not a student should be accepted to a school or not i feel like the college board should do more diligence in looking at what does this number mean for this individual versus what does this number mean for somebody else it's kind of like looking at individuals and looking at you know different standards for age and looking at different standards for you know when you're trying to go from you know one one perspective to another you have to you you've got to look at the whole picture and i think what they're trying to do with this score is they're trying to make the score mean something more and trying to help people understand for this individual this is the reason why they got this number is it going to put a lot of weight i think it depends on the college who's going to be receiving this number maybe there are going to be certain schools that you know they see the number and they say okay well, i see this diversity score i don't care about this diversity score i'm going to go with this raw number and then you may have other schools that maybe from the perspective of hey this person may not have been able to be accepted and now all of a sudden because they do this diversity score, now we can bring somebody into school that wouldn't have been able to take it before. So I do think it's going to be based on the the actual institution of how they're going to accept it. And I think the institutions that don't want to accept it, you know, then they don't. And then the other ones that do, that they do. I don't know whether or not the college board is going to eventually make it to a point where you have to do this diversity score. And if you don't do it, then there's going to be ramifications. So that'll be what will be interesting in the future is what will, how are you going to enforce this number? And if you don't enforce this number, what will happen? So those are my two cents on that story. Yeah, very fascinating. And this is an ever revolving thing. And, you know, time will tell what the outcome. Yeah. Man, but I'm thinking. Something I do find interesting. A school like. Now I understand how uh, uh, you know when you go on to different people from different countries trying to talk at the same time. Maybe you're on like CNN and having someone the whole they're approaching it. The thing I was going to say is uh, Temple University, I believe, are they're given an option of not even having to take an ex entrance exam. And they, I don't know what they're looking for to accept the student versus not. So maybe it is time to challenge the whole SAT. Why is the SAT the rule of the land? Why is that test the thing that determines whether or not someone gets accepted or not? 
it's 2019. Maybe it's time to change things up. I mean, I think the whole purpose of it was because it's very difficult to, you know, how can you look at a student that goes to school in Idaho and somebody else that goes to school in New York City, how you've got different teachers, you've got different curriculums, you've got different grading scales, you got teachers who may be hard teachers or you may be teachers that may be easy teachers. And I think the whole purpose of these exams is to try to try to balance it out somehow. So, you know, you may have an individual who takes really, really hard courses or maybe they, you know, they, they've got a bad year or something like that. You know, some people feel that the GPA is not the sole way of being able to figure out if somebody is learning or not. And that's where that other aptitude text comes in. But I think, again, it's going to be up to these colleges to figure out, you know, what is the best predictor of success in college. And I think that if you've got all these academians and all these individuals who study this for a living, and if, if the purpose of the university is to teach our individuals to be the best and brightest that they can be so they can succeed in the workforce, like we're looking at, do these scores really give us that clue as to whether or not somebody can be successful or not? And I think that's the the main question that... I think the answer is no. I don't think it does. And because I don't think it does, I think what it is is it's just if you figure out a way to do well on this exam, then you get into the school. But I don't think that tells you whether or not you're going to be successful afterwards. I mean, look, look at the number of people who are college dropouts or decided not to go to college, but they're actively changing the world, making a measure that determines whether or not you're going to be successful to come. And I guess, and you know, those are my two cents. Yeah, and this is. I think we could do a whole other episode about this. I mean, one can argue the same thing about individuals who are applying to these post-baccalaureate programs, too. I mean, you've got individuals who take these exams, but just because you take the exam, you get a certain score. You know, individuals may not necessarily pass once they get in. People may not be able to handle the curriculum and they drop out. You know, things happen in life. So I think with these scores... How predictive of a value do these scores correlate with the success of the individual? And, and, you know, one person, and the other thing too is like you may go to one school and this one school, their standards are a certain number and another school, their standards are another number. But at the end of the day, as long as you pass a certain exam for the boards, then you are deemed to be whatever professional you are. So you can have one person who scored 500, 600 points less and the person who scored better may not even become the individual who is going to be able to have their degree or be able to have that license. So I'm just glad that I've got everything that I've got. And, you know, I think for the individuals who are taking these exams, you know, you, you really got to look at is there a better way to figure out whether or not these scores, what, what's the best way to be able to correlate success of an individual 
And I'm glad that at least the College Board is trying to look at different things and they're not just doing the same thing that they've always done. Agreed. All right, let's see if we can wrap this up because I know we've been having technical difficulties. So let's just wrap this up. Marvin, what do you want to leave with your viewers and audience today? Well, if you don't like robocalls, hold on. There may be something for you. <laughs> Hopefully the FTC does rule in favor in my opinion i think it'll be a good thing yeah and then for me with the whole sat adversity score you know i'm all for always reevaluating processes and systems i don't think that it's a one system that's a one size fit all i think it's important to continually look at your processes and look at opportunities for improvement and i think that the sat is trying to do that now I feel that if we did the same stuff that we did way back in the day, then we wouldn't be having the opportunity to be able to do a podcast like this because people would not have looked at challenging the status quo and they would not have looked to trying to do something different. So I applaud the, the you know, college board for looking at what things mean. Now, will we receive what that actual answer is? I mean, I don't know, but at least I, I do like the fact that there is some looking at the numbers, using the information that we've had, trying to make the system better. And as long as we're trying to make the system better, then I'm for that. Sounds good to me. All right. So it's 1035. My beautiful wife have just come home, so I'm going to tell you guys, see you later. I hope that you've got a good rest of the call week, and let's catch up soon, all right? Sounds good. Sounds good. Talk all right. See you later. So, Marston Brothers Podcast viewers, again, thank you so much for listening to us. We do apologize for the technical difficulties that we've had in this episode, but please do not use this as your only opportunity to listen to us you know definitely reach out if you got any questions you know shoot us an email at marsonbrother@gmail.com. please feel free to like us give an awesome re give us an awesome rating and again if you guys have certain questions or things that you want to know about us let us know we definitely would love to have one of these episodes where it's ask the mvp crew and whatever you guys ask us we'd like to answer it so again it's the MVP team. Have a good week. Thank you again for listening. And we will talk to you next time. Later. Thanks for listening to the Marston Brothers Podcast. And remember, do work and make a difference in somebody's life.